Let me invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John. In just a few moments, we will be reading together from John chapter 18. What a blessing it has already been for us to be together. Thank you to the brothers who have led us so well in prayer and song, in reminding us of why we are gathered together, what makes this gathering so very special. It's not about us. It is all about Him. It is not about who we are or what we have done. It is about who He is and what He has done. We have a number of guests with us this morning. Welcome. We're very glad that you are here. I don't know what it is that you have carried into this building on your your shoulders this morning. Maybe it has been a good day and a good past week and you are full of joy. We're glad that you're here. But maybe you come into this room this morning weary and feeling weak. Maybe struggling with some very serious doubts and uncertainties about what this week holds. I want you to know I believe with all of my heart you're in the right place. Not because of us, but because of the one we've been singing about and exalting and, and expressing our thanksgiving to. We believe with all of our hearts that joy in Christ is real and hope in Christ is alive and that you can be at peace with your Creator and with yourself, with your past. There's not a, a perfect past represented here among the adults in this room. But we belong to a perfect Savior. And He is the one that we want to continue to see with our mind's eyes this morning. I appreciate the way that Gerald helped us to see by faith what has made all of this possible. Hopefully you got a bulletin on your way in. On the inside of that is a basic outline where you can follow along and see where we are headed you know just as surely as I know that there's a, a certain measure of security and credibility, some, some access that comes with being able to say, I'm with him, or I'm with her. A couple of years ago, Steve Kirchkessner took me up to Bloomington to Assembly Hall. And if you've ever been to a, a game like that with Steve, it's, it's like everybody knows Steve. I don't know if that's true or if Steve just acts like everybody knows him, but uh, I, I just followed him and, and Steve just walked right down onto the hardwood floor there in Assembly Hall and and I stood out a little. Uh, the, 
the prominent vowel that everyone was wearing kind of went like this, and, and the vowel on the front of my sweatshirt was kind of more circular, a little more oval-like, and, uh, and we were there to see Indiana play Ohio State, and, and here we are on the floor, and there was more than one person with that, that vertical vowel uh, on, on the shirts that they were wearing who kind of looked at me and and I just stuck close to Steve. I'm, I, I'm with him. And, and he acts like he knows what he's doing. And, and as long as I was with him, everything was going to be okay. Maybe you've been in a, a, a situation like that where you're a little out of your element. You, you don't really belong except for who you are with. Maybe you've been granted backstage access at a concert or in the green room of a, a big conference or the boardroom of a, a big company or back in the vault of a bank or in the, the restricted area of a museum or the executive floor of a skyscraper. Maybe you've been led beyond the the tour guide territory of something like the White House, and you know on your own you don't belong, but you're able to say, I'm, I'm with him, or I'm with her. There's a, a security, an access, credibility that comes along with being able to say, I'm with him. There's a simple example of that. If you have your Bibles open there to John chapter 18, we're reading about a, a particularly cold night. Not just physically, but metaphorically. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's been led by a a horde of troops back into the city of Jerusalem and he's been led all the way to the palace of the high priest and, and he's in their standing trial and John tells us in verse 15 of chapter 19 that Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. You read the context and you read the gospel and that other disciple almost certainly is John. And so we have Simon Peter and we have John and, and that disciple was known. To the high priest. And so he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. We can relate to that, right? I, I'm with him. Maybe on my own I can't go in. I, I don't have that sort of access. I, I don't enjoy that sort of security, but I'm with Him and therefore I'm able to go in. So I want you to get in your mind. If you go with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, and this is where we're going to be, Revelation 1, for the rest of our time. It's easy to find. Just a, a few pages from the very end 
of this revelation from God. As you turn there, I want you to get in your mind. Where have you been? What have you experienced in your own life? What, What sort of access has been offered? What sort of doors have been opened to you because you've been able to say at different points in your life, I'm with him or I'm with her. And as you get that in your mind, I'd really love it if you would continue using your mind's eye to really center yourself here on this the Lord's Day, the beginning of a a brand new week that God is providing us. I want you to get in your mind the ultimate... I'm with him. Experience. Ultimate access, ultimate security, ultimate credibility because I'm with him. In Revelation chapter 1, we don't have the time to read the entire account. I'd begin in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 where we have almost assuredly this same John that we were just reading about in John chapter 18 with Simon Peter. And now it is years, years later. He is a very old man at this point. And he's communicating with any who pick up this amazing last book of the Bible, John gets an incredible vision. We get a book as a result. And he introduces this in Revelation 1 verse 9 with these words. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Get that in your mind. Hear that in your mind. The sound of a loud trumpet. It instantly gets your attention, right? John says that that's what this voice was like. And it said in verse 11, write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. John has the vision, we get a book. A book that has been preserved for 2,000 years. I don't know what you have in your house that is precious to you because it's really, really old. But this book that you are holding in your hands this morning is precious beyond measure. Not just because it's really, really old. Not just because of what it contains, but because of who it is from. Who is speaking Even today, in mid-February 2022, to us, through this book, John begins to describe for us what he 
Saul. He turns, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to him. And on turning, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands. I'd love just to walk through the next few verses with you slowly, deliberately, not just to get through a list, but to build this mental picture in your mind. We, we tried to envision with our mind's eyes the way to the cross and Jesus being suspended between heaven and earth and ultimately that empty tomb as the sun rose on a Lord's day just like this. Let's continue to use that. And begin by, by picturing in our minds seven golden lampstands. And we know what lampstands are for, right? Jesus used that word picture in Matthew chapter 5, near the beginning of his most famous sermon, when he said, listen, you don't light a candle and then put it under a basket, you put it up on a a lamp stand. And that stand holds up the light, supports the light, provides light in the room all around it. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, we, we find, we don't have to guess what these lamp stands are. It's provided to John who provides it to us that that these are churches. Churches are comparable in the, the mind of our Lord and King to lampstands. And so we heard those seven churches mentioned by this voice that sounds like a trumpet. And now those, those churches are Depicted as lampstands that hold forth the light, provide the light as far as that light is able to go. He continues. It wasn't just lampstands that I. Most of the lampstands was one like. Picture in your mind, seven lampstands and in the middle, someone like a son of man. Maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not, but, but son of man was Jesus' most consistent way of describing himself. And for those who were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, it was a phrase that carried such weighty significance. It, it went back to another vision. Hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth among us where Daniel was provided this scene in Daniel 7 and verse 13. In the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages 
should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus described himself as the Son of Man, it was a royal claim. A God claim. And so let's continue to develop this word picture in our minds. We've got seven lampstands which are the churches and in the midst of those lampstands. He's not over the churches. He's not distant. He's in the middle of them. He's not far away in space and time. He is moving among the churches, trimming the wicks, carving the wax, breathing life into flickering flames. And so, could I be so bold as to encourage you this morning to envision this church as a single lampstand? We are a part of a kingdom of lampstands all over this world. Lampstands that have stood and served and supported and projected the light for 2,000 years. There isn't anything ordinary about our gathering this morning. How awesome that this church family would be described by God as, as one of those lampstands and the royal son of man is in the midst of all of his lampstands. He is clothed, verse 13, with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Nowhere else in the New Testament do we read that sort of description. It is the attire of a high priest. The ultimate mediator between a holy God and an imperfect people. But this high priest is unlike any other that we ever read about in human history. The hairs of his head were white. Like white wool. Like snow. And once again, we've got deep, deep Old Testament roots. All the way back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 where Daniel says, I looked, we, we heard about that son of man and the ancient of days earlier. Verse 9 of Daniel 7, the ancient of days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne, you've never seen any throne like this. It was fiery Flames, its wheels were burning fire. This is remarkable. And it's showing up right here in Revelation chapter 1. It's the language used to describe God. God our Father. 
And this one in the midst of the lampstands is like the ancient of days with all of the wisdom of eternity, all of the steadfastness and, and the maturity of age, but he is not worn down or weary or faltering in his steps. No, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees with the sharpest, brightest clarity. His eyes miss nothing. They are exploding with energy. His feet are like burnished bronze, refined in a firmness. They are able to tread in judgment any who stand in his way. His voice. I want you to, to hear this in the mind God has given you. If you've got to close your eyes to do it, you feel free to do so. His voice is like the roar of many waters. You think of the, the, the ocean waves that slam against stony shores. You think of the, the rush of a thunderstorm or the roar of Niagara Falls. That's what his voice is like. And John says, I, I could see his right hand. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Verse 20 describes them as the angels of the churches. And certainly our minds can, can run wild with that. But whatever those stars, those angels are, it's clear. They're under his protection. They're within his control. They are subject to his will. We heard about the, the roar of his voice. Out of his mouth. John tells us, verse 16, came a sharp, two-edged sword. Maybe it makes you think of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, how the word of God what comes out of God's mouth? It's living and active. I want you to listen to me this morning. What we are talking about is not dead and dusty. It is living and active this morning. It is changing lives all over this world. It can change anybody's life. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, as we approach Him, He sees us. As we read Him, He reads us. There is nothing, no Thing hidden from his sight. His face. Were you ever foolish enough, naive enough, young enough to accept a dare to, you know, it's in the backyard after school? How long can you stare at the sun? You do that once, don't you? Because there is nothing like it. His face.
John tells us, was like the, the sun in full strength. I want you to remember that this week. That whatever clouds roll in, whatever storms blow through, it will not diminish the glory of the face of the Son of God. Whatever you experience this week, if your time on this earth comes to an end this week, you go to see His face, a face that shines like the sun in full strength. He has the keys. You don't have the keys, you're not leaving here today. You don't have the keys and there are certain doors that you will not be able to go through this week. Jesus is not scared of death. Jesus is not intimidated or daunted by my death or your death. He has the keys. He has conquered. He came out of the grave on a first day of the week just like this. And he has been holding the keys of death and the grave ever since. The time will come when he unlocks the grave and all who are in them will come out. He reigns over all. And I want you to listen to him this morning because the ultimate purpose of all of this that we read in Revelation 1 is He's got a message. He's not like a museum exhibit that, well, okay, Sunday, nice day to get out. We'll go look at the exhibit and then we'll move on to more interesting things. No. This one who is more glorious than our imaginations can possibly conceive has a message. And it's a message that impacts you and me just as surely as when it was delivered 2,000 years ago on that tiny island of Patmos. In many ways, we could summarize that entire message by just looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7. Where he is described. We, we know who, who we're dealing with here. He doesn't look like he did when he walked among us. And so this morning, let's, let's get away from the two-dimensional flannel graph Jesus that many of us grew up with. And as we picture him, let's not just picture him this morning as like us. He is Jesus, the glorified Christ. He is the firstborn of the dead. He was dead and is alive never to die again. He is the firstborn. Which means more of the dead who are also going to be raised. Including you. Including me. He is the ruler 
of kings on earth. And so I don't know what sort of access, what sort of security, what sort of confidence, what sort of clearance you have had in your past. I don't know what sort of credibility you've been able to enjoy for a little while by saying, I'm with him or I'm with her. You have never... Listen to me this morning. You have never been in the presence of someone, anyone like this. He is the ruler of kings on earth. To him, John writes, who loves us. And would you allow your your heart to clearly see and rejoice in the present tense in that phrase? He is not the one who loved us. He is not the one who will love us. He is the one who loves Present tense. Present ongoing tense as long as this world stands. We have gathered this morning to worship not I was or I will be, but I am. He loves and He has freed, John writes, past tense. Freed us from our sins by His Blood. Do you hear what the present tense unlocks about your past? That this can be true of you because He loves me. I can leave here forgiven. Past tense. Because He, this glorious one, shed His blood for my sins. He made us, John says, past tense. We're not hoping for His kingdom. His kingdom is alive and well this morning. The greatest thing you could ever hope to be a part of. A kingdom. He has made His disciples priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we can stop right there. And that is awesome. But there's one more little thread to this message. Behold, He is coming. What sort of security and clearance and credibility and access have you had because you're able to say, I I know him or, or, or I know her. And would you allow yourself to be blown away this morning by this one is coming. The same John in 1 John 3 and verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know 
we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Listen to this. Because we shall see Him as He is. You will see Him as He is. You want to be ready for that? God says it's time for you to join the chorus. The chorus of heaven, the chorus of creation. Revelation 5 and verse 12. Worthy is this Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's why God provides us oxygen this morning. That we would join the chorus. I haven't always used my God-given oxygen to do that. And neither have you. And so as we prepare to sing this invitation song, could I take you back to that cold night in John chapter 18? Simon Peter was able to say, I'm with him, and, and, and he was able to get a little closer to Jesus. But the time came when that servant girl was pretty sure something fishy was going on. And so on that cold, dark night, she said to Peter in verse 17, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And rather in the face of Fear and uncertainty saying, I'm with him. Even if it costs me. This man who walked on water with Jesus said, I'm not with him. And sin seemed reasonable in the moment, but sin broke Simon Peter. He went off and, and he wept bitterly because he had sinned big. He had sinned spectacularly. But then just a few days later, it was a new morning. There was another fire on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus appeared. Though he had died, Jesus was alive. And he appeared to Simon Peter and other disciples. And he spent 
a few crucial moments with this man who had sinned so spectacularly. Toward the end of their conversation, he asked Simon Peter, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And in that moment, Jesus showed Peter and he showed for all time that human beings sin big. We sin spectacularly. But not one of us is a bigger sinner than Jesus is a big Savior. He looked that man in the eye and said, let's move on. It's time to get to work. And so I don't know this morning what sort of doors have been opened to you because you've been able to say, I'm with him, I'm, I'm with her. I don't know what sort of doors have been closed in your face. But I do know the most awesome being in the universe this morning is not holding his hand, prohibiting you, denying you access. He stands in glory this morning with hand extended. Though you have sinned and sinned big and sinned spectacularly, He is a bigger Savior. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And He wants to make sure that this morning you have the opportunity to grab a hold of His hand. When people asked how to do that, they were told it's time to leave sin behind. And it's time to be baptized in the name of this amazing Jesus. If you need to do that right here and right now, so that you can leave here saying, I am His, He is mine. Would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing to encourage you?